Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and you're listening to Sandy Rios 24-7. Today, we're going to tell you a story about a young policeman in a small town in Michigan who is facing seven years in prison because of the way he arrested a man on a traffic violation. It's a very complicated story, but I think it's a story that illustrates why policemen are dropping like flies in departments around the country. We think of Chicago, we think of New York, we think of Dallas, we think of all kinds of big cities where that's the case, where there are, you know, woke mayors and woke prosecutors. But even in a a place like Austin, Texas, there's a tremendous crisis, Uh, over 300 vacancies, and they have cops quitting because they feel disrespected. We're right there with Portland and Seattle and San Francisco as being one of those places where if you're at all conservative or in law enforcement, It's become a hostile place. And that's a quote by Lieutenant Brian Moon, uh, who told the New York Post that the city he had protected for 23 years had become this place. He said, uh, as a matter of fact, if you come to your home and find it burglarized, there's no way, there's nobody to come and help you in that moment. They've pulled detectives from solving cases to act as patrol officers. Uh, um, A former watch commander said that in 2021, the city recorded a record 88 homicides. And that record did decrease in 2022, but in the first months of 2023, they saw a dramatic increase in the number of rapes with 179, almost 2,000 aggravated assaults. And the problem is when people call, there's no one on the other end. You might know that in 2020, the Austin City Council voted to defund the police by $150 million, slashing their budget by a third in the months after the protests over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of the police. Uh, And, of course, you remember that sparked protest and clashes with those cops in Texas and all over the country. Well, they're losing policemen like flies in Austin. People are not getting uh, help. When they call for help, it's not there. I think the same thing's happening in Seattle, uh, in Portland, in New York City, in Chicago. It is becoming a dangerous situation for those of us who live in this country that we love so much. But think of the policemen who have put their lives on the line and the way they have been treated, not only by the community, but also by their superiors. Well, that's the kind of story we're going to tell you today. So I hope you'll stay tuned to hear this young man's story. By the way, uh, you know, we live in an upside down world, not only with police, but in everything else. And as a result, um, in regard to abortion, nearly one in five pregnancies will end in abortion, even after Roe versus Wade has been overturned. With the abortion pill accounting for over 50% of all abortions, the new abortion battlefield has become, quite frankly, the home front. Preborn network clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies' lives by loving mothers with unplanned pregnancies and introducing them to the precious life growing inside of them through ultrasound. And it really is a miracle. Once the mom hears that heartbeat, the majority of the time she will choose life. Without that ultrasound, the odds are she would not choose life. The ultrasound really is a game changer. Sandy Reels 24-7 has partnered with Preborn to help rescue thousands of babies this year. And already you have been so generous. Many of you have already gone to preborn.com slash Sandy and made your most generous donation. It's only $28 for one ultrasound and uh, you can uh, give as much money as you can possibly afford. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy and help uh, Preborn make this possible. And we thank them for their sponsorship, by the way. All right, well, sit back and relax. You're going to have a, this is a really interesting story. You will not be bored 
uh, Sandy Rios, 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. This video that landed former Hartford police officer Matthew Mistretta here in South Haven Court, facing years in prison for the way he arrested 21-year-old Lauro Espino. The AG's office says Mistretta slammed Espino to the ground during his arrest, also saying Espino was already in handcuffs. The state compares this action to the way George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Matthew's defense saying copies of the 911 dispatch audio have not been released to them yet. Mistretta says they're essential to his defense. So that defendant uh, was able to stand mute and not say a word um, after uh, he was able to uh, give his full testimony as he chose uh, to the state. Mistretta's defense unable to question Espino. That was disallowed in this matter. Um, That's an issue that we have with this case as far as um, legal procedure. Mistretta's attorney saying speaking out in this manner is out of the ordinary. I told him this was uh, very rare. And, and often not advised and I advised him this, we should not do this. However, uh, Matt's a very passionate individual and um, he, he chose that he wanted to do this. He wanted to talk to the news and, and that's why he's doing that. I can say that uh, from my research and from what I could tell in my experience as well, this is a case of first impression. Um, I've not seen uh, an attorney general uh, charge a police officer for effectuate, uh, effectuating an arrest um, without aggravating circumstances, which, which we don't see here. The AG's office telling Fox 17 in a quote, our reasons for charging Mr. Mastretta were laid out at his preliminary hearing. The testimony of the witnesses and the video of the assault by Mastretta convinced the district court that probable cause existed to send the case to circuit court. We look forward to continuing our prosecution in this matter. Mistretta saying he'll take prison time before he takes a plea deal. All right, Sandy Rios. Well, this is quite a story. It's now that's Hartford, Michigan. Interestingly enough, uh, it's not Hartford, Connecticut, which is what I thought. It's Matthew Mistretta. And notice the date of this incident was May twenty fifth of twenty twenty one. So here we are in twenty twenty three, and he is still his life is still on the line. We need to talk about this because what happened that night. What happened in that stop? Uh, what did he do that they accused him of? And someone who has agreed to join us today is Brooke Livingston. Brooke is a uh, is a fiance to Matthew, but she's a former police officer herself, uh, veteran of the U.S. Uh, I'm not sure which branch. We'll ask her that. Uh, and so she joins us uh, today to talk about this. Brooke, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sandy. So uh, first, before we start, just your your own service in the military. What was it, Brooke? Um, I did five years in the Marine Corps. I was a Huey crew chief. Okay. Well, I saw a picture of you. You don't look big enough to be a Huey crew chief, but I believe you. <laughs> and then in the police, you you served as a police officer also. Do you still serve, or was that is that a, something you did? No, that's uh, in in the past. Okay. 
All right, so it's interesting that you and uh, Matthew both are uh, former military and both former police officers. So as a matter of fact, can you tell us a little bit about Matt's service to his country? Just give us an idea. Yeah, so Matt served in the Marine Corps, um, active duty, and did three combat tours. Um, He has essentially served his country in some capacity or another for over 10 years now, whether it was in the Marines, as a firefighter, as um, a police officer, and then also as a contractor assisting U.S. military. So, and is Michigan your home, both of you? I mean, has it, was it your home base? I'm not sure. I don't think you live there now. Maybe you do. But is that your home state? Um, so that is, that's actually neither of our home states. Matt grew up in Nevada. I grew up in Massachusetts. We met in Montana. <laughs> um, and since then, it's been really difficult for Matt to find a job anywhere. So we've kind of had to move around quite a bit. Um, to try to secure employment so that we can fund this whole legal battle. Wow. All right. So let's get into this. Um, uh, This um, is complicated, I think. I watched the news story several times, and I'd like for us to lay it out as plainly as we can. Uh, This was May the 25th of 2021. It was a routine traffic stop, as I understand it. Uh, Tell us what happened on that night, if you can, Brooke. Right. So there's a lot of detail um, that I think is really important, but I'll try to stick to just the the basics for now. Um, So Matt initiated a traffic stop. He had backup at the time. So himself um, and another officer, two separate vehicles, two separate agencies. He initiates the traffic stop. Um, As he's initiating the traffic stop, his backup, the tribal officer, gets called to the scene of a homicide about a mile down the street. Um, As so then it's just Matt and the vehicle, which contained two occupants. He's approaching the vehicle. He's with the driver, um, and it is relayed over the radio that the driver and potentially passenger are suspects in the homicide scene from up the street. The victim had been so brutally killed that his the initial wounds they suspected or assumed that it was a gunshot wound to the face. So over the radio... The deputy told Officer Mastretta, hey, you have my shooting suspect on that traffic stop. So at this time, it is Officer Mastretta, two suspects. He is under the obvious assumption that there's potentially guns in play inside the vehicle or on the suspects. Um, Again, it's just him, two suspects. Um, He successfully gets the suspects into custody without incident. Um, Unfortunately, there, there was someone or... Someone was recording across the street, um, which is ironic because Matt had also applied for body camera grants, which he never received. Um, but the the video is where everything comes into question or where the AG has an issue. Let's say, and on the video, because I watched this at least three times, um, Matt is seen uh, with his knee it looks like on the back of this suspect, he's by himself. He's got another guy in the car uh, and he is like having, I don't know, got his, he's got something in his hand, perhaps his his device where he speaks to other officers. Not sure what you call that now. It's not Mm -hmm. a walkie talkie. That sounds so antiquated. Uh, But, um, and they are accusing him of doing what uh, a Devon in Minnesota did, the police officer there, right? Putting his knee uh, and the same thing he did with George Floyd. Uh, that the other officer did with Joy Floyd. That's the comparison, and that's why they're 
coming after Matt in this way. Is that true? Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, yeah. So, I mean, obviously there are huge differences. Uh, Matt had his knee on the hamstring of the suspect. The suspect never complained of any sort of, um, like, negligence, any use of force complaints. The suspect never made any complaints. In fact, the passenger thanked Officer Mastretta for stopping the vehicle. He had been so terrified by the driving of the driver and homicide suspect that he thanked Officer Mastretta for conducting the traffic stop and stopping the vehicle. Um, So, yeah, he's on his radio. He has a knee on the hamstring of the suspect. He's uh, using his radio to tell dispatch that he has one in custody. And while this is going on, outside of the frame of the video is the suspect outside of the vehicle digging through his pockets. <laughs> and and Matt's hands are full, so if something happened, he couldn't do anything. So, all right. Obviously, Brooke, I, I'm and to our people listening, uh, my husband and I are very pro-police, and we... Uh, but we, we're going to explore this and try to be as objective as we can. I've asked Bruce uh, to join me. My husband, Bruce, is a former FBI agent. He's also a former uh, prosecutor in Cook County, Chicago. And so uh, I thought maybe it, he would have some insights here or some questions for you. Good morning, honey. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Miss Livingston. Good morning. Just to summarize, I think it's important that people understand, just to lay this out again, is Matthews by himself. Uh, after originally being with a, a backup officer. So now he's on his own. It's nighttime. This looks like um, it's um, not a populated per se area, so he's kind of on his own. There are two people in the car that he stops. One, uh, the, the one, uh, Espino, is reeks of alcohol. Um, he has blood all over him. His co-occupant of the car is away from Matthew so that... Uh, Matthew does not have him under control at that point. And uh, would that be fair to describe the situation? Is that that uh, when Matthew applied whatever force he needed, that was, is that an accurate description of the, of the situation? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was actually, it was even more volatile. It's just so hard to get all of the details in. Um, The the suspect or driver wasn't wearing a shirt. He was not following commands. Officer Mastretta repeatedly told him to, sh- to show his hands, and he was refusing. Um, there, there was a lot of yelling with Officer Mastretta trying to get the driver to comply with verbal commands, um, such as showing his hands and exiting the vehicle, which he was not complying with. So I think people need to understand that. Um, when, you, uh, when you're a police officer, you have what's called escalation of force. And... Each factor that's factoring in here would lead to a further escalation of force. And from what I can see on the video, um, Matthew did nothing more than put the subject on the ground. And uh, people have to understand, if you've ever dealt with someone, especially someone who's drunk, uh, especially someone who may have just killed somebody, they don't want to be put on the ground. They don't want to be handcuffed. They do not want to comply. And you can't just ask someone, especially, I don't know if there was any kind of language barrier here, but uh, when people aren't responding to your commands, then as an officer, you are justified to go to the next step of force as long as it's within policy. And from what I can see on the video, Matthew did nothing more than escalate his use of force to what was appropriate for what was going on at the situation. In fact, if anything, it looks like he restrained himself. 
Yeah, Brooke, let me ask you a question. Um, the What was the policy, or what is the policy mm-hmm. in Hartford, Michigan, when it comes to arresting someone and how you're supposed to restrain them? What What are the rules of engagement, as it were? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you asked that. Um, Hartford Police Department does not have a policy manual, um, or at least did not at the time of the arrest. So that will certainly play out in court. Um, however, as an officer myself, I, I would say that Officer Mastretta absolutely was justified in his use of force. Um, if anything, <laughs> granted the crime that was committed and the fact that it's one officer on two suspects, neither of them are following commands. They, uh, the driver ended up, his BAC was twice the legal limit hours after the stop. Um, I would say, if anything, it was a low level of force considering the totality of circumstances. So he's charged with uh, excessive force, and I'm trying to find the exact charges here. Assault. Assault, misconduct, excessive force. Yeah, there, um, there's one felony charge, um, which is the misconduct in office, and then two aggravated assault and battery, which is misdemeanors. Yeah. All right, well, um, Bruce, if you, what I'd like to do is talk, if you have no more questions about what happened in the incident, I'd like to move to the courtroom. Yes. Yeah, so... So what happened, uh, Brooke? They uh, when did the, when did he get have any knowledge that he had done something that the uh, the authorities above him thought was uh, untoward? Did it happen right away? Um, no, not right away. He was actually essentially given a pat on the back by his department, um, given the good job. If we had any issue with what you had done, like you wouldn't be working here. He was actually offered a full-time position uh, because at the time of the incident, he was a part-time officer. So he was formally charged in May of 2021. The incident occurred in August of 2020. Um, And I, I know that the agency had sort of gotten wind of the investigation, which is when they decided to then, uh, essentially prolong his probationary period or extend his probationary period. So formal charges were May of 2021. Incident occurred August 2020. And of course, now here we are two years later, um, and the court date is, continues to get pushed out. Chris, is that normal? No, I would not say that's normal. Um, if, if, if the uh, FBI had been called in on an excessive force and let me ask you that. Uh, were the federal authorities ever asked to investigate this? Uh, no, sir. Only state police, I believe. Or um, I'm not sure. It's not lo- local jurisdictions, not yeah. federal. Yeah, and see, right there, uh, anytime an officer makes an arrest and he's accused of excessive force, uh, usually a referral is made to the, the local FBI office to, to determine if they're going to open what's called a civil rights violation. And uh, that that did not happen makes me think uh, that this was not uh, a situation that rose to the level of excessive force because uh, those referrals get made pretty easily. Um, uh, these DAs today, uh, especially the woke ones, like it looks like we're dealing with in Michigan with the uh, attorney general there, uh, they're very quick to try to involve the, the federal authorities to uh, go after an officer. 
All right, so let's go back now. Let's go into the courtroom because I saw a little bit of that. And one thing, of course, that stands out, the, the attorney, and I don't know when the date of that video, you know, the actual moment in the courtroom that they captured or what the date, when it was, uh, but the attorney for Matthew says uh, in the report that the 911 tapes have still not been released. Is that still the case? Um, I'm not sure that that is still the case. So there was a bit of a hang-up where Espino had not been to trial yet. Um, and if Espino, which was the situation at hand when that was reported, Espino had not been to trial, and if he had not gone to trial before Matthew's case, then the they would have been able to exclude the fact that Espino had just killed someone from the case. Um, so there were, when the AG's office submitted the case, the 911 transcripts do not include the officer or the deputy who said over the radio, you have my shooting suspect on that traffic stop, which is obviously imperative for the jury to understand that Matthew knew that the driver had just killed someone. This was not just a regular DUI stop. He wasn't just pulling a drunk driver out of the driver's seat. This was someone who had just killed someone. Um, so those, the 911 recordings, I, I don't want to say that they were like edited essentially, but they did not include the 911 transcript where Matthew is told you have my shooting suspect on that traffic stop. I, essentially, it was just Officer Mistretta's radio comms with dispatch, and it didn't include the other agencies. And I would say uh, the fact that Matthew was told by dispatch, you may have my shooter, or was told by another officer, you may have my shooter. Um, I know anytime we did an investigation and someone was presumed what we would call A&D, armed and dangerous, which obviously a potential murder suspect is, uh, that uh, opens up a whole different um, level of how you're examining someone's actions. And in this case, mm-hmm. being that uh, the suspect is covered with blood, he's not, uh, he's not responding to Matt's commands. Um, to me, he looks like he may very well be the murder suspect and that he would be need, need to be treated as such, not, as you say, not just someone who's had too much to drink and we're going to pull him over and, and uh, check him out, see if he is uh, sober or not, in our opinion. Are you saying even if, the, even if they refused or somebody messed with the tapes or even if it for some reason, I don't know, it's not there, whatever, it's not there right now, uh, that there would be reason enough by appearance to assume? Because his bar- partner, Matthew's partner, was called to the murder scene. So he knows this, Matthew knows mm-hmm. this, and he's dealing with a guy who's got blood all over him. So you, there would be an assumption, even if the, if someone had not said over dispatch, is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that, um, Matt had been told that you, you have my shooter. And in regards to how he's going to handle this person, but, but they, thinking, she's saying it's not on the train. They, the I, I understand that. But, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, yeah. uh, there's a reason that that transcript was made. The yeah, way it yeah. Is. and I guess if we think it's a little bit of a stretch to be suspicious about the transcript not being the way it should be, we could add to that the fact, and, and Brooke, please fill in the blanks here, that for some reason, uh, um, Loro Espino, who was the, you know, the so-called victim, the guy that had his, uh, his uh, hamstring <laughs> pressed by Matt's knee and who was doing fine, 
the guy who's on uh, now being mm, now so in this twist of fate, he's accused of murder, but at the same time he's on the stand uh, because he's supposedly the victim from Matthew. He is allowed to plead the fifth. Could you talk about that? Um, so he he has just to clarify, I guess he has been convicted now of he was found guilty of DUI causing death and of driving while suspended or revoked. He was found not guilty of fleeing the scene. Um, so he's no longer he will have to testify, and all of that information will be accessible in court uh, when Matt eventually does go to trial. And I think we and need then to, he, oh, I'm sorry. he, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think it's important that people understand that uh, the murder that happened, the killing that happened, it ended up not being a shooting. It ended up being uh, that the suspect or the uh, victim was hit by the vehicle that was driven by Espino. But when Espino hit this person, uh, the, the impact was so great that it looked like the person had been shot in the face. So that that's really where where the uh, the whole uh, mm-hmm. information in the uh, dispatch came from. Yeah, that's that's correct. That's an important to relay as well. Yeah. Well. All right. So let's talk about the court. Uh, and you have it's a it, it, has he it's been hearing so far, not at, not the trial, correct? That's correct. So he was scheduled Matt's trial. His jury trial was scheduled for April 4th. As of yesterday, it was pushed out again now to April 13th. So we're still getting closer, but it is, I mean, even a week before trial, it's still getting pushed out again. All right. So jury trial or or a judge? Yes, that's correct. Jury trial. All right. So uh, what's your, I don't know if you could say anything about this, Brooke, but what's your read on the courtroom atmosphere? Can you say? Um, I, or should you plead the fifth? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, I will say, you know, a lot of people who, who watch the video, they're really quick to say, you know, I, I watched the video. This isn't going anywhere. Like no way. Um, unfortunately, I mean, the reality of it is it's, it's already gone somewhere. We're going to jury trial and you just don't know how these things are going to go. You, you don't know how it's going to play out in court. I mean, there are so many cases right now um, where the jury hasn't been told the full story and the officer ends up being in prison. Um, then it goes to the Court of Appeals and finally, eventually, you know, they, they say, oh, well, all of this, this evidence, all of this information was omitted from the case. So we should probably actually, maybe it should have been included in the case. So... It's just hard to say how, how it's going to go. Well, and the thing of it is, you just gave us two big examples. If they have, if they have edited the 911 tape, and if they would not let, allow Espino to speak and the court or respond to the questions of Matt's attorney, you can see where a jury would not have the information. And that's, that's herein lies the danger. So uh, this is a podcast. So when this airs, uh, a- April 13th will still be in the future. And so uh, right now, Brooke, uh, w- what can people do to help? How can they help you? Right. So, I mean, on that note, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to get the story out there to include more details. There's actually like, even so many more details we could get into. Um, but I appreciate it because this 
assist in avoiding what I'm seeing become so common in these cases. Um, but additionally, we are so grateful that we've been backed by the Pipe Hitter Foundation, who has allowed us to sort of take off a lot of the financial burden of all of these legal fees. Um, so anybody can go to the Pipe Hitter website. Um, they can find Matt's case on there. And if they're able to make a donation, but just listening to this story, getting the case out there, talking about it is also incredibly helpful. So pipehitterfoundation.org, pipehitterfoundation.org. They did do a great job, a great write-up. It was very helpful for me in prepping. I, I think, um, uh, I, I just actually think, Brooke, we would like some of those details. And Bruce, if you have any more questions, please feel free to jump in. But what what else do, is there to tell us about this? Because we are interested. Just a few minutes more here. Um, I so it's tough to even rattle off the top of my head. So I mean, like I said, the the suspect actually thanked Matthew for stopping the vehicle. Um, then Matthew actually shielded. He protected this homicide suspect, the driver, from the victim's father. The victim's father showed up on scene and was charging over towards the suspect that had just killed his son. And Matthew pulled out his firearm and um, protected the suspect, told the father of the victim to go go be with his family. Like, you don't need to be here right now. Um, and the suspect later testified in court stating that Matthew had pulled his firearm on another officer. He was so intoxicated that he clearly had no idea what was going on at the stop um, and testified saying that Officer Mistretta had pulled his firearm on another cop when in reality he had pulled his firearm on the victim's father that the suspect had just killed. Wow. Well, it is complicated. Now I feel better about get my getting confused when I was looking at the story. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, seriously, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why, you know, Brooke, you guys are living a nightmare, though. This has been the incident three years ago almost. Uh, and I guess the charges brought uh, nearly two years ago. And so your lives are on hold. You say uh, Matthew can't get a job, which is just horrific. And is that because the trial is pending? Is that the reason? Yeah, we essentially were not going to be able to really move on with our lives until this is all done with. Um, he's sort of, he's built a life for a certain career. You know, he had a really tough upbringing. He was homeless for periods of time as a teenager in high school yet he would sleep at the bus stop or in the school's gym so that he could still attend classes because he knew that if he didn't get his high school diploma, he wouldn't be able to become a Marine, and that was his dream. So he's really he's worked so hard and come from almost nothing to really build this life for himself, um, and he's just not, after all of that hard work, you know, he's, he's not able to do any of the jobs that he's built his life or set up to be able to do right now. Um, he's done a little bit of construction um, and contracting, and right now we're really lucky to be able to do some stateside contracting. Um, but it's it's not without obstacles. I mean, he just, he was on a contract, and the judge got upset that he wasn't able to appear through Zoom because he had been on a flight and didn't know he hadn't been instructed or told that there was a trial that day. Um, so the judge wanted him to appear in person. He had to leave a contract that he was on where he was trying to make money for 
the legal fees. Um, and he had to then fly back to Michigan, pay for a hotel, all the additional costs. Um, so there's just, there's all kinds of additional obstacles that really hinder his ability to be able to work. You know, Brooke, just to, uh, flesh the uh, rest of this out, my understanding is when Espino was arrested, he did not make a complaint himself about brutality or excessive force by Matthew. Is that correct? That's correct. And my understanding also is, uh, he did not have any injuries of any uh, of any magnitude when he was arrested. I know anytime anyone is, is put in a jail facility because the jailer will be responsible for the, the person in custody and their health and well-being, they're always given a physical examination to look for any injuries or uh, um, excessive force that was used. Was there any report ever made by a jailer or any any complaint that uh, Espino had suffered any serious injuries? Um, I, I don't believe so. I know he had a head wound, but he had the head wound when Officer Mastretta stopped him. So that was a result of the physical fight that took place back at the victim's house um, before Espino had jumped back in his vehicle and hit the victim with his car. So basically it looks like nothing was... Nothing happened to Espino because of Matthew's actions other than he was put under arrest is what it appears to me. That's correct. And now with the empowerment of this criminal, he's now actually suing Matt in civil court as well. Uh, yeah, so there you go. <laughs> That's the way it works. Well, uh, Brooke, I really appreciate you joining us. And let me just tell you, uh, let me repeat that you can find this whole story at Pipe Hitter. Pipe Hitter. I wanted to say Pipe Fitter, but it's Pipe hitterfoundation.org, and they do, they've done a great write-up on Matthew Mistretta that you can find, uh, and you can learn more details about this and share it with others, and the trial is coming up, uh, at least of, as of this taping, this recording, it will come up uh, April the 13th, 2023. Uh, so uh, one thing, Brooke, that my audience would like to do for you and for Matthew is pray. And so we will do that. We will pray for you in every way, personally, for your relationship, for your well-being, for a job, uh, for that God would actually make his presence known in your lives in a mighty way, because that transforms people and gives them the strength to face all kinds of things. I, You know, I think of, um, and you don't have to weigh in on this one because it's so controversial, but I have had so many J6ers on this show. So many of them are veterans uh, police officers, they are, you know, these are the kind of men that it seems our culture hates right now, at least the people in charge hate, you know, whether it's the Justice Department or attorneys, gen attorneys general like uh, Dana Nessel. It's the uh, the guys who really love this country and have paid a great price are, you know, now are, you know, uh, they're under a dark cloud. And it's, uh, it's uh, we have to fight back and that's what we're doing. So, Brooke, thanks for standing by your dude, <laughs> and thanks for joining us today to fill in, the, fill in the, the details. Please give Matthew our very best. Will do. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, Sandy Rios on Sandy Rios 24-7. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. I want to remind you that you can follow us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, and YouTube. And you can find us on all the different podcast platforms. AFR.net is our home. The app is AFR Talk. You just download it and you can listen to the show anywhere. 
But if you like Apple or Spotify or any of the others, we are available there as well. You can call us at 662-821-2040 if you have a question or a comment, or you can send us an email at sandy at afr.net, sandy at afr.net. And once again, I want to thank Preborn for being our sponsor. We are so grateful to them. And if you would like to help Preborn save babies through the use of ultrasound, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and make your most generous donation. It's $28 for one ultrasound. And every tax-deductible donation, big or small, helps save the unborn. And Preborn receives no government funding, and it's completely dependent on us, the pro-life community. For just $28, you can help save a life. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy. All right, um, Bruce, uh, let's talk again. You just heard that interview with Brooke. You participated in it, and I just wondered if you have any thoughts about uh, what she said, any follow-up thoughts, or anything about what I talked about at the opening of the show with Austin and all the other police departments. Well, I have to say, uh, in regards to what you talked about going on in these police departments, it is amazing to me that even the FBI is having trouble recruiting people. That was never the case. Um, People would kill to have those jobs in the past. But you can see why it is a problem looking at uh, a situation like we just spoke about. Uh, These police departments are not backing up their people. The guys on the street, uh, woke mayors, woke district attorneys, woke police chiefs. Uh, Believe me, not every police chief is a you know gung-ho law and order guy. Well, they're appointed by the mayor, generally speaking, so they're political. They're political, yeah. and they're trying to keep their jobs, and often they have uh, aspirations to, to have a higher job. So it's amazing to me. And, and, and when I look at this situation, I, maybe I'm being very harsh, but this to me looks like this attorney general in Michigan is going after a scalp because this attorney general, Dana Nessel, ran on police brutality, that she was going to go after it. She's a former civil rights attorney before she became the AG. So don't think that she doesn't have an agenda. Uh, Maybe I'm generalizing, but uh, any civil rights attorney I ever met, I mean, they're, they're hypersensitive to things. And so we get a traffic stop by this gentleman, uh, Matthew uh, Mistretta, and oh, okay, let's pick it apart. Let's uh, let's look at every detail of it. But yet, we're going to hold back evidence of what happened that might make him look better. Uh, let's edit the nine one one call. Let's not get the. Let's not let Matt have access to the nine one one call for quite a while. This this is the reason that we're having trouble with recruiting officers. Yeah, you think about Chicago, our home city, Bruce. I. You know, you you were, a, a, again, a Cook County prosecutor, and Chicago's your hometown. You grew up in the South Side, and you know a lot of police officers very, very well. And uh, the discouragement there, we know them. Uh, they're retiring left and right. They're retiring as soon as they possibly can and early in many cases. Yeah. They can't wait to get to their 20-year mark. And it, it used to be that people would stay 25, 30 years. Guys are, you, you'll see countdown clocks on their desks. Like I have this many days till I can retire, and it used to be a joke. 
it's not a joke anymore. Now they really mean it. Like, I cannot wait to get to my retirement date. You know, I'm going to go take this a step further because I'm going to do a podcast about this uh, in more depth. But the larger picture here is you have leftist billionaires like George Soros who are strategizing the demise of this country. And one of those, one of those pegs, I mean, it's like a, it's like 300 fronts they're fighting on and they're aggressive fighting. They're being aggressive on them. We're, we're defending, you know, the few of us are defending, but one of them is to break down the law and order of the country and make the people vulnerable. That's one of the big ways that you bring down countries. I think of Venezuela, uh, when Maduro took, or when uh, Chavez took over and then handed it to Maduro, it became lawless and there were murders. I remember interviewing Venezuelans who were fleeing and they were talking about all the murders and all the chaos uh, in terms of lack of law and order. If you want to destroy a country, this is just one of the pegs. And because Soros has strategically spent money all over the country to put in place these radical, radical, radical prosecutors who won't pro- who prosecute some people and ignore criminals, uh, it, it, this, I think, is part of the pattern, and we just have to be aware of this. Well, you think of the domino effect of what you were talking about in, in cities like Austin where your home is burglarized. That's a major felony. It's a major invasion of your privacy. There's nothing more personal than having someone come into your home. And you call the police, and no one responds? On a burglary, put a you residential on hold. Put burglary. Put you on hold while you're calling. Yeah. But meanwhile, yeah. they're having um, training on, uh, you know, uh, equity and inclusiveness, and resources are going to uh, these, you know, community officers that go out and and speak to groups about uh, pronouns. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 then you know, the same people that are uh, that are enacting these policies want to take away your firearms. Because what are you going to do to protect yourself if the police won't respond? You need, I, not to take the law into your own hands, but you need to be able to defend defense, yourself. Defense, yes. You need to be able to defend yourself. Yeah. So how are you going to defend yourself if the police won't respond because they're not able to or they're told not to and you don't have a firearm or a weapon? Well, the answer is you can't, and that's how tyrants take over. So, And that's why the founders came here, because they were ruled by tyrants, and they couldn't defend themselves. And on and on, we could go. But I think this is an important story, and it it, it actually will affect all of us as we see law and order breaking down. Uh, I just think um, it's uh, something, you know, our God is a God of order. Uh, Romans 8 tell us, tells us that he established governments and authorities so they could, uh, they didn't wield the sword for nothing. It says in Romans, they do it for a purpose. Romans 8, I'm talking about. Uh, they do it for a purpose to bring order to society. And so this is not God's way. None of it is God's way. And I think it's important to make that point. Bruce, thanks for joining me today. It's a great discussion. And well, um, It's important that uh, we back up these officers. These guys are putting their hands, or their, their lives on the line every day. And if you've ever tried to arrest someone or just think of wrestling with somebody, it is, it is very difficult. Now you've got people taking videos of everything officers do, everything they say, and uh, you've got people that will not obey the police. They've been told by our politicians, you don't have to obey the police. And yet the police are, quote unquote, to do their duty and do it uh, by the book. And 
all on camera. And then everything you, they say, everything yeah, they everything do while they're they trying to arrest a murderer. You're in a fishbowl, oh. and it's and no. you know what's in the back of that officer's mind? Not, I'm doing my job, but how does this look? Am am I gonna am I gonna end up in jail because of this person? It's it's so unfair. Yeah, it's it's just, it's, it's hamstringing them and it's making the world much more dangerous. Bruce, thank you for joining me, honey. Thank you for uh, having me. Very interesting discussion. All right, well, this has been Sandy Rios, twenty four seven.